Um, today, I am so glad you're here. Um, uh, we're actually ending our James series today, as well as starting a Christmas series all in one sermon. So it'll, I promise you, you've never ever heard a Christmas story quite like this one. So I'm going to go ahead and promise that up front. We've been talking about for the past eight weeks out of the book of James, that the book of James, the big idea that James has been talking about is a faith that doesn't make itself visible is useless. Though faith starts invisible and it starts in here and in here, it never does stop here if it's a real faith. That a real faith is eventually going to work itself out in our feet and in our hands and in our mouths and how we treat people and things of that nature. And as we come to the end of the book, James' primary focus has been our faith. As we come to the end of the book, we're going to be talking about the biggest thing that's going to be able to sidetrack your faith. Um, in fact, if you're not a Christian here, and this, we're probably going to be talking about the reason why you have chosen not to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because this question that we're going to be talking about today sidetracks so many different people. In fact, you may even be a Christ follower here this morning. And this is the one question that just keeps on coming up and keeps on nagging at you and just eating away at your faith. And we're going to be challenging this and we're going to be talking about this today. This one thing. And here's the one thing that can really sidetrack or challenge your faith. It goes like this. How can a good God just sit around and let bad things happen? How can a God who says he's good and says he's loving... Just not do some things and just seems to wait around and wait around and wait around on his hands and not doing anything about it. How come God doesn't act the way we think he should? How come he doesn't act when we know that he could if he is all-powerful and if he is good? Why does God seem to take so blooming long? I mean, why do we keep on praying and asking these questions of God and it just seems like, there's silence. Now, I really, I assume that you guys have worked through that just like I have. And sometimes I just, <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm just like, God, I know you're there. And sometimes in the, my dark, deepest moments, I'm, God, I think you're there. And I want to hear you. I'm asking those questions and all I'm getting is Silence. What are you doing? What are you doing, God? James is going to take us in James chapter 5. We're going to be, he's going to take us all the way from the, where he's going to end the book the way he started the book. In James chapter 1, if you remember, the big idea was this. That adversity isn't a sign that God is absent. Adversity is a sign that God is active. In James chapter 1, verse 2, that's exactly where we dug down deep. That anytime we face issues and problems, we, many times we think, well, God's absent. He's out to lunch. But no, James says, no, if you're experiencing that stuff, those hard times, that is proof that God is active. For most of us, the problem of having faith in a good God who seems not to act the way he should or 
what we think he could, it leads us down a lot of, a, a lot of, just a path with a lot of questions. And all of those questions we have about God can be summarized into really primarily two questions. And it usually goes something like this. God, why? Why God? And God, when? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? God, when are you going to step in and make it right? God, why? God, when? Now, those two questions that all of you have asked, and I've got to be honest with you, I have asked myself this week. This week. God, why? God, when? James is going to give us a response to those two questions. And James's response is a two-word response. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you up front, you're not going to like his response. Because I didn't. In fact, if it was anybody but James, I would probably say, come on. Get with it. Look at this. It's amazing. James chapter 5. Dear brothers and sisters. Now, how can we have faith in an all-powerful God? How can we have faith in a God acting when he, we don't think he should act that way or when, when, he, when he doesn't seem to intervene? What is James's two-word response? Dear brothers and sisters, and let's all say it together, be patient. Come on. Be patient? Be patient's not an answer. Be patient is something you say when you don't have an answer. Be patient is what your mom and dad and what my mom and dad used to say when you wanted something, right? Mom, dad, I want this. Well, be patient. None of us wanted to hear that. That is not an answer. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient. That's what you say when you're confronted with a situation and you don't know what to do. Be patient? Give me a break. And look how far he puts off the answer. He says, dear brothers and sisters, be patient until... <laughs> the Lord's return? Police. I mean, seriously, when I want something, you know, I, you know, okay, I have to wait on something. When I, I was at 6 o'clock, I was at the McDonald's drive-thru, all right? And they have those little clocks, you know, with the, the clicking, you know? And I'm there, I'm tapping my foot. Now, I've been waiting for about three seconds. But I am, I mean, I'm tapping on the clock on the dash and I'm, I'm looking, I don't wear a watch, so I'm looking at my phone. There's, there must be something wrong here. I'm having to wait for 30 seconds, all right? I mean, I, and even if I have to wait for a week, okay, God, okay, I'll be patient. I'll wait for that for a week. But a week and an hour, you better, get, you, you, I need an answer. Right? He says, be patient until the Lord's return. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. And it keeps on going. He gives us a great illustration. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. The illustration that James gives is that of a farmer. Now, how many of y'all are farmers in here? Okay, that's none of us. Okay, one. All right, cool. Um, how many of y'all have ever planted anything? Let's go there. Okay, cool. Um, that's all of us. It should be. How many of y'all have ever planted something and killed it? There's the majority of us. That's the reason why we're not farmers. All right. 
because we would all be really skinny. Um, I, I remember uh, living in Iowa and planting a garden with my oldest son, Walt. And we planted carrots um, and onions. We planted onions from seeds, which I've never done before. That was a little, a little weird. Um, planted tomatoes from seeds. Planted corn from seeds. Um, we planted green beans from seeds. And I love doing this with kids because when you're planting something with kids, with seeds, what do they want to do? They are always asking, Daddy, is something happening yet? Now, you just planted it about 30 minutes ago. Daddy, is something happening yet? No, we're going to have to be patient and wait. Okay, okay. Daddy, is something happening yet? No. You ask me again, I'm going to kill you. All right? In fact, my son was, I mean, literally every hour he was wanting to go out there and dig up some of the seeds to see what was happening. And you can't do that. The illustration that James gives here is you got to be like a farmer. You got to put some seed in the ground and then you need to whistle the Andy Griffith tune for about a week and a half to two weeks. Because there's nothing there. And this is what I would talk to my son. Walt, even though you can't see it, something's happening. Even though you can't see it, even though it's below the surface of the soil, there's something happening that I can't see and that you can't see. There's something, though you can't see that it's happening, something is growing. And that's what James is saying. James is saying, Chris, though you don't know what's happening underneath all of this stuff, God is moving. Though you can't see, there's something happening, Chris, that you can't control. You can't manipulate. You can't scream louder to make it grow faster. It's just going to, you got to be like the farmer and you got to step back after planting it. You've got to step back and you've got to let nature take its course and the, just the natural stuff of this seed that's going to be growing. Because just like that seed biding its time and in the right time and in the right season, something's going to happen. And that's what James is talking about. He's talking about plants, seeds, and seasons. Now, that's where we have to be when it comes to our circumstances, when it comes to problems, when it becomes all of this junk that happens, that we got to step back, back off and wait, because there's something going on beneath the surface that we don't see. We're not observing. That is our big idea for today. Look at this. God is up to something beneath the surface that you can't see. Let's all say that. Because i got to be honest with you. I've been living with this big idea for about five days now. And uh, there's been a situation come up recently in my life that I've wanted to push back and say, okay, God, it's time for me to jump in and work on a situation. And reading this passage of James, God's saying, you need to take your own advice that you're getting ready to preach on. You need to step back and wait. You let me act. You sit down, shut up, let me work. And that's what I've had to work on because God is up to something. Let's all say this together. God is up to something beneath the surface that you can't see. There's something going on beneath the surface that we can't observe, that we have no knowledge over, that we don't have any control over. 
it's almost like, you know, God's saying, listen, okay, I'm silent right now. You're praying. I'm not answering. When you can't hear my voice, God is saying, Chris, when you can't see my hand at work, you trust my heart. You trust me enough to know that I am working something beneath the surface that you can't see, and I'm going to bring new life to something. Now, some of you, you're pushed back. Maybe, you know what? But Chris, you don't know my situation. And you know what? I don't. But God does. And some of you, this Christmas season, you're going to the malls and you're hearing joy to the world, but you don't feel like singing joy to the world because there is no joy. And you feel like right now, I, I, I can't, I don't have enough money to even go to the mall to be tempted to buy presents for my children because I don't have a job. And God, I, I have those medical bills that through the surgery or through because I, I broke my knee or whatever and, and you are working something out. But I'm, I am asking those hard questions. God, why? And God, when? And there's just silence. Why? You just, you may have lost your job. You may have lost a loved one. I mean, this Christmas is the first Christmas without that person. And it's just difficult. And there are no easy words. And there isn't an easy fix. God's saying, be patient and wait. Something is happening, God is moving. New life is budding beneath your circumstances. Wait on me. Now look at this, verse 8. You too, that is, like the farmer, must be patient. And look at these next words. Take courage. Some of your Bibles may have stand firm or take heart or encourage your heart. That That little word in the original language literally means... To stabilize your heart. It means to recalibrate or reorient your heart. Uh, you know, being a Boy Scout, and again, I, I was a Boy Scout a long time ago. But I know, um, uh, you know, you, you always have the map and you have the compass and you have to orient the compass to the map. Again, some of you soldiers who are out in the field, you know exactly what I'm talking about, all right? I mean, you have to say, okay, this is where we're at. Here's the map. Here's the compass. I have to orient them both. And that's what, that's what James is saying here. He's saying, okay, I want you to take this, and I want you to move your life and orient your life in such a way so that you can be patient and wait and stabilize your heart to know that when life throws you a curveball, it's okay. God is still in control, and even though he's silent, and even though he, you can't see his hands moving, you can trust his heart to know that his plans are better than your plans. So take courage. And look at this. And he gives us the reason why we can take courage. Because in order for us to stabilize our heart, you got to know something. What must you know? For the coming of the Lord is near. The coming of the Lord. I like that. James believed this, and all the New Testament writers believed that Jesus could come back any time. And the reason why they believed that is because they saw Jesus leave. 
They saw Jesus get up on a mountain and pray, and he went up into heaven. And they're going, okay, Jesus is going to come again soon. Jesus is going to come soon. And some, some people call this the second coming of Jesus. That, and if, if James believes it, then I definitely believe it, that God, Jesus, can come back at any time. Now, this wasn't theory for them because they saw Jesus leave. And they trusted and they believed Jesus. The second coming. Now, the best way, we've been waiting and we've been patient for 2,000 years. I think one of the best ways that we can trust God through all the midst of all of these questions of why God and when God. That we can trust an all-good and all-knowing and all-powerful God, even though sometimes he doesn't act the way we think he should or that we think he could. The best way to trust him is not even look at the second coming, but to look at his first coming. Now, the first coming, you don't call it that, but we're getting ready to celebrate the first coming, and it is called Christmas. There you go. So let's just, and today, on the little amount of time I have left, I'm going to go through the entire Bible. Dear Jesus. All right, some of you are going, I don't have that long. Well, I don't either. So just sit back. It's going to be fun. All right, let me set the stage. Because I'm going to set the stage before what happened before Christmas came. What happened before Jesus was born? What happened before the first coming? All right, 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Did you hear me? 2,000 years before, not after, before Jesus was born. God chose a man. God chose this man. And he told, he went up to Abraham and he said, Abraham, you're righteous and I am going to pick you. I am going to choose you, Abraham, and I am going to make you a promise. That from you and your wife, Sarah, from you, you're going to have, coming from you is going to arise a mighty nation full of descendants. I mean, full of just hundreds of thousands of millions of people. In fact, he gave this illustration. There's going to be, from your descendants, you won't be able to count them. They're going to be like the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore. There's going to be a lot of them. And Abraham's going, yeah, that's great. There's a problem. Abraham was 100 years old. 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 90 years old. All right? They didn't have any kids. And by the way, this was before Viagra. Just throwing that out there. I mean, they were up against an impossible situation. 190. 100 is Abraham, 90 Sarah. And he's saying, Sarah, you're going to get pregnant. And Sarah, Sarah started laughing. If you were 90 and a lady, you would laugh too. But you know what? God always fulfills his promise. So, guess, they have a child, and you know what they name him? Laughter. Because what else is there to name a child when you have one at 90? I mean, they had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, and one of them was named Joseph. And Joseph, being the favorite the, all the other 11 sons hated Joseph, so they uh, concocted a story. Uh, they uh, pretended he was dead. They sold him into slavery, and he went to Egypt. And everybody's scratching their heads going, whoa, 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 what, what is God doing? But you know what? God was up to something that beneath the surface none of them could see. 
So Joseph gets sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt and through a series of some really bad circumstances, he was framed for a crime he didn't commit, gets thrown into jail. (laughs) But God was up to something that beneath the surface, Joseph couldn't see. And God, while in jail, promoted him to be the vice president of Egypt. You're talking about having a past. All right? This dude had a past. He is the vice president of Egypt. And God was able to give him influence enough to be able to impact an entire nation. Because a famine was coming. And he brought his family that hated him into Egypt. And where he saved them from the famine. Because God was up to something that beneath the surface, Joseph or the 11 brothers who hated Joseph could not see. So for the next 400 years, the descendants of Abraham start growing and multiplying and growing and multiplying until, while living in Egypt, until there's millions of them living in Egypt. Now, God had promised Abraham, listen, I'm going to make your descendants great. That's the reason why there was millions of them. And God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. (laughs) But they didn't have their land yet. Well, there was a a, a bad pharaoh that rose up and said, and it starts getting intimidated by all these millions of, of descendants of Abraham. So he puts them all into bondage and starts killing a lot of them. And they start crying out to God, God, how long? When, God? Why, God? And you know what? God was up to something beneath the surface that all of those descendants of Abraham just didn't see. Because God raised up a fellow by the name of Moses. And he came up and he said, let my people go. And Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt because God was up to something beneath the surface that none of them could see. He brings them through the wilderness. God gives them ten commandments. And he says, you are my people. And the reason why you're my people is not because you're anything special. Because I chose Abraham. And he wasn't really special. But I am special. And I'm giving you ten commandments. And the first one is the most important. Don't worship any other gods except me. Because I am the God who always keeps my promises. So they said, hey, we're going to worship you, God. We promise you, God. All of these millions of descendants of Abraham now called Jews... So they go into this land and God gives them the land. He gives them all of this stuff. He drives all the people out. They don't, many of them don't even have to lift a finger because God fights for them. And it's amazing. And God tells them, listen, here's, here's your land. You're prosperous because I made you prosperous and I will be your leader. I am going to lead you. And all the descendants of, uh, of Abraham, the Jews, the Israelites, they said, we don't want you as a leader, God. Because we want to be like all the other nations. We can't see you, God. We can't touch you, God. And we want to be like all the other nations. Give us a king. Give us a king that we can see, that we can talk to, that we can touch. And God said, I don't think you're going to like that plan, but I'm going to give it to you. So God gave them a king. And most of the kings they have was really, to be honest with you, kind of awful. And most of those bad, evil kings led them away from worshiping the God who, who took care of his promises. But God made a promise to David. In fact, he was one of the best kings ever. And he says, God promises David, I'm going to make you a promise, David. God tells David, 
I am going to one day, I'm going to lead our people again. Me. But I'm going to have flesh and blood on. And here's even the best part. God is going to come down, lead the people, and he's going to be from your own line. From your own family. And David goes, wow. That is a promise. That's a promise keeping and a promise making God. So God says, I am going to lead them once more. Well, the problem is Israel and all those bad kings kept on wanting to be like all the other nations. And they wanted to worship the gods that they can see. So many times they would try to be like all the other nations and they would build idols. Because they could see that God. And, and God was going, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Listen, I'm promising you. If you do this, there are consequences. If you follow the Ten Commandments, you will be blessed and you will live in the land that I have given you. But if you disobey these commandments, you will be taken away from this land and you will be put back into bondage. Just like from where I got you. And God would send good kings and they would try to lead the people away from these worshiping of all of these idols. And God was patient and God was waited. God waited and waited. God would send prophets to them. And God would speak through these prophets saying, turn back, stop worshiping those idols, only worship the one true God. God is a God is a God of promise. If he says you're going to, if you worship them, he is going to remove, remove you from this land and he is going to lead you back into bondage. He will discipline you. And they didn't listen. He sent prophets by the names of Micah and Joel and Amos. And Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But they did not listen. And God waited for, listen to how his patience, he waited for 900 years for them to finally get their act together. And they never did. So in 586 BC, God finally fulfilled his promise that if you disobey me, I'm going to remove you from the land and you're going to go back into bondage. And that is exactly what happened. And for 70 years, they cried, God, why, God? Where are you, God? What are you doing, God? But you know what? God was up to something beneath the surface that they didn't see. And God was able to bring them back to their land, though they weren't in control anymore. They were oppressed and they had other people. They were in occupied territory. And God sent another prophet by the name of Malachi. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Malachi. It's a fairly easy book to find because it is the last book of the Old Testament. In fact, I'm so excited about this. We're going to be preaching through the book of Malachi in February. I'm stoked. All right. Some of y'all are going, you're weird. And you're exactly right. All right. Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the last chapter in the Old Testament in the last verses of the Old Testament. Now, why is that important? Because these words that we're getting ready to speak, if you have your Bible, and in, the, in Malachi chapter 4, if you flip over, there's a blank page. And then if you flip that blank page over, there's the New Testament. Now, that's really easy to flip that blank page. But let me tell you, in between the, the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew are 400 years where God was Silent. Look at the last chapter of the last book, of the last prophet, of the last words that God spoke before Jesus came. Look at this. Malachi chapter 4, 
verse 1 and 2. He says this. They're asking God why, God when, when are you going to happen? When are you going to fulfill these promises? And he says, count on it. The day is coming. On that day when I act, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves out, let out to pasture. He says, be patient. Wait, it's going to happen. Look at verse 4. But remember, but remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees and regulations that I gave to him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. God is taking them back hundreds of years and says, you remember what I told you? That if you obey me, you will be blessed and you will stay in the land. But if you disobey me, I will remove you from that land and you will be placed back into bondage. And they go, oh, we remember. We remember very well. So, in verse 5, look. Look at these words. I want you to listen and look at every one of these words. They are so important. Look, I am sending you the prophet. And what is that next word? Elijah. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a... And the very last word that God uses is curse. After he spoke that, there was silence. For 400 years, silence. And they were asking questions like, God, why? God, when? God, if you're all-powerful, how come you're not doing nothing? God, if, if, if you're in control, how come you don't act the way I think a good God should act? And during those 400 years, nations came and conquered them and did terrible things to them. And 400 years, think about it, guys. 400 years from today was December the 13th, 1609. <laughs> Think about that. I had, to, I had to Google that. What was happening in 1609? Well, that was before America became a nation. Let me tell you what was happening. The French and the Spaniards were still bickering about who was going to get the new world. They were still discovering the new world. 400 years that God was silent. And they were asking those tough questions. Like you and I are asking now, God, how come you're not going to speak? God, for 400 years, not a prophet wrote. For 400 years, not a poet sang. For 400 years, not a God-inspired historian wrote any books. For 400 years. And they started asking these questions. But here's the cool thing. Those 400 years, even though God seemed absent and he seemed silent, God was working something beneath the surface that none of them saw. None of them saw. He was preparing the way for the first coming of Jesus. This is cool. During those 400 years, God raised up a, a terrible, awful country called the Medes and the Persians. And the Medes and the Persians, their contribution to the world was twofold. Number one, they gave us a postal system for the entire known world. 111 post stations over 1,677 miles. Caravans took 90 days. World carriers took one week by horse relays. The Persians increased the communication so that once Jesus came, the word could get out quickly. Because 
there was something happening beneath the surface that nobody could see. Also, the Persians are the ones who invented killing someone by crucifixion. Before the Medes and the Persians, nobody ever killed anyone like that. But they are the one who invented that horrible act in which Jesus died on the cross. Now, after the Medes and Persians left, around 300... 323 B.C., God raised up Alexander the Great and the Greeks. Now, before Alexander the Great and the Greeks showed up on the scene, there was a mosaic of languages. Nobody spoke one language. You had all of these different dialects. And it would be like if you've ever been to New York City or in a different country, and you just heard all of this stuff, and you don't understand them. But here's in three years, Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire conquered the entire known world. In three years. And with them brought one main language. In fact, that one language was called Koine or common Greek. And everybody ended up speaking Greek. So that when Jesus Christ would show up on the scene and an account of this would be written, it would be written in a language that everybody could read it. Because even though God seemed absent beneath the surface, God was doing something. God was doing something that none of them could see. All right? After the Greeks, after they kind of went by the way of the dodo, God raised up the Romans, this terrible empire under Julius Caesar. And the one thing that the Romans brought that had never, ever been invented, Romans invented pavement and concrete. So what their contribution was to bring a road system that once Jesus Christ showed up on the scene, And all of these missionaries like Paul, they could go along on these roads and the the gospel would spread like wildfire. Because even though 400 years, God was silent. He was moving behind the scenes, preparing the way for Jesus' first coming, Christmas. That leads us up, those 400 years, to Luke. And this is where we're ending. In, In Luke... It gives us the account of Jesus before he was born. And this is what happens. I love this. Luke chapter 1 verse 5. This is so cool. Look at this. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest by the name of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. Now look at this. And they were both very what? Uh, who does that sound like? Could it be Abraham and Sarah? <laughs> oh, one day Zechariah was serving in God in the temple. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him because God had not spoken in 400 years. An angel had not showed up for 400 years. And God shows up. And you bet this is what he's doing. You know what I mean? I mean, he's going, uh oh, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to meet. God, because Jesus wasn't showed up yet. All right, look at this. He says, and then the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. There God goes, making promises. I mean, seriously, old, making promises. 
Look at this. Now look at verse 14. I was reading this in my quiet time last week. And I said, I've got to preach on this. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Talking about John. John was the cousin of Jesus who is getting ready and going to make everybody ready for Jesus Christ. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. Now look at this next. Look at these next words. Look at them. You see them? Let's read them together. Tell me where you've seen this before. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of who? He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children. And the children to their fathers. And will make people ready for the coming of the Lord. God just quoted the last words he said. 400 years before that. It's almost like God didn't miss a beat. Now, here's where we're at this morning. Because some of you guys, there is a lot of stuff happening in your lives. And it's so hard to trust in a God when he seems silent to us and we, when we don't understand what he's doing. But what James is saying to you and me And the great illustration that he gives us in preparing the way for Jesus Christ is to be patient. Be patient. Let me work it out. Some of you right now, you don't know what, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know how you're going to pay the light bill tomorrow. You don't know what's, you don't know how you're going to get home for Christmas. You don't know about, you, you just, you got so many questions that are nagging you and you're going, God, you say, Chris keeps on saying that you're a God of love. And I really want to believe that. But there's a disconnect. And God is saying to us, you must be patient and wait because I am moving. I am moving. God is up to something beneath the surface that you and I can't see. Dear Jesus Christ, I thank you so much, God, that this this message, probably more than any message I've preached in a while, has just really sat with me this week, God. God, you are always faithful. And Lord, any, many times when we don't think that we can trust you, when we are struggling with the, your timing, God, that you will just swoop in at the last moment. Lord, I'm so thankful, God, that you are the God who's working behind the scenes silently, that even we can't see your hands, we can't hear your voice, but we're trusting your heart to be able to work on your plans and not our own. So Jesus Christ... Lord, I pray for those here this morning who are struggling with this issue in their faith. Lord, that you would bring situations in their lives, even difficult situations in their life, in the life of this church. Lord, that would just show you off. That would show your hand off. And Lord, that we would be able to trust in you for you are 
we have faith in you, Jesus Christ. In your name that we pray, amen.